I'm very excited. I don't know about you, Evan. This will be the first yeah, time we'll get to take advantage of this recording over the internet setup we have now and have a really interesting guest on today. Yeah, we kind of did a trial run last time to make sure that it would work and that we could hear everything so that we could get in touch with people that don't live uh, within 30 miles of us, obviously, because yeah. that really broadens the scope at which we're able to do. But yeah, we've been trying to get together with this dude since before like the WGI season started last year, I think, uh, but at the time just didn't work out. Yeah, I think this is one of the first guests we talked about wanting to have on when we had the idea for the podcast originally. This is the first name that came to mind. So before we introduce him, uh, welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me as always is... Evan Wall. And today's guest is an awesome one, the infamous Dan Shack. So I'll go ahead and let him introduce himself, and we'll go from there. So um, what about me uh, inspired you to make a podcast, might I ask? I'm going to start this as a reverse interview. Oh, no, invert dude. the stakes. Stepbrother no. style. <laughs> dude, I got this. So obviously we put a lot of pressure by Mike's lead, on, lead in saying, like, we thought of you. And I think most of it was just – conversations and interactions and talks that we had during our years marching together and how much we enjoyed just talking with you and conversing. Cause you're definitely a wordsmith uh, more so than a lot of people that maybe we've had on. I mean, we'll get into that in a minute, but part of that is from your background in schooling and just how articulate and well-spoken you are, but just how witty and funny and charismatic you are and just i think that was one of the things that motivated me of like we got to get dance check on this thing <laughs> uh because i feel like we could just get him going and we can just talk about whatever even if it's not related to drums and it would be awesome this better be good then <laughs> it's a high bar i know right <laughs> it's a high bar so yeah it's the bar that i accept i accept that bar i uh i appreciate all that it's weird to hear um because i I try to stray away from watching videos that I talk in and I've had some, I had one of those, um, the marching society, Ryan Ellis thing. I did that one with him, which has like, it's like 2,500 views, whatever. Um, and no big deal, uh, you know, <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that kind of starts to feel like a lot, a little bit. Um, no, it is. When I think about a room of 2,500 people and you conceptualize that as actual people sitting there and listening, it becomes more, obviously, and just that number on a screen, it sort of, it feels a little bit different. So, um, but that one, and then there's like, you know, flow, you know, with Jason Schladweiler, he's doing a good job picking up the content, but, you know, I, I always think it's really weird to like see videos of myself talking and doing interviews because it's just like is that really it? And, you know, you, you never know, you know, there's that thing where it's like, you can never really know what you give off into the world. And, and I've learned a lot about myself from what people tell me about myself more than what I actually like have perceived from the inside. So it's always, uh, it's always interesting. <laughs> yeah. I think that makes sense. Cause even going back and listening to previous podcasts that we've done on this to try to, better myself there's things that i pick up on and catch and little nuance that i'm like man i have to like get rid of that or eliminate that or even though it's just like us talking and we're all 
I don't know, Mike and I are 90 miles apart and Dan's like 300 miles apart. I don't know the actual distance there. I was like, man, we have to bring something to the table that people want to listen to, whether it's like the energy and the way that you articulate or just whatever. But I definitely can latch on and agree with that sentiment. Yep. So Dan, tell us where all you march. Well, okay. So I started marching uh, base one at Norwalk High School in Norwalk, Connecticut. They're a perennial WGI medalist now with uh, my buddy Dave Dumont at the helm of that. Um, he's keeping it really consistent with them. So I started there. We weren't doing WGI at the time, but um, I was local to Stanford High School and West Hill High School and Trumbull High School and all these schools that were around Norwalk and Connecticut. And a lot of us um, ended up going to Connecticut Hurricanes. This is an all-age group, DCA. So I spent from 2005, uh, that was the first place I marched snare drum. I marched bass drum in high school. I got cut from the indoor group off snare and played bass again. And then in April, I went and started playing snare drum for the first time at DCA, um, marching in the line with like, you know, people who are, you know, the age I am now, basically. Um, That's pretty funny. Yeah, it was really weird. And I don't know if I can explain everything that I saw and did in those years but um it was an interesting situation you know i was there from when i was 14 years old to 19 years old so by the time i was done i was a five-year vet and uh uh you know it's when you're at an organization for five years you get to know it well and it knows you well and that comes with certain responsibilities and um you know and certain passes on other things so um and throughout those years you know i started to get into the DCI thing and started to audition at different places and, um, ended up through a video audition. I, uh, didn't go out in the fall or anything, but I sent in a video to Cavaliers after someone dropped at their April camp. And then I ended up filling a hole there in 2010. And then I marched Cavaliers 10 and 11. Um, so by this time, like I'm seven years deep in drum corps, obviously. You, you were the section leader <laughs> at Cavies in 11, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I was. I will always be the section leader of the 2011 Cavaliers. People say that in past tense, and I'd like to remind them it's <laughs> always going to be that. You can't take that from me. So, yeah, I was I was the the short one in the center with the gauges and, and a more fruitful hairline at the time. It's <laughs> parted since then. <laughs> I can I – can relate to that yeah but you look good we gotta we can pull this off so we can we can get down that rabbit hole <laughs> later on um but anyway so yeah i spent i spent 10 11 at cavaliers uh and uh i yeah i got to be a section leader there i was very lucky um that i sort of fell into that and then was given um some of the reins and it obviously went in a positive direction and um i also marched united percussion right before i went off to cavaliers in 2010 and then i you know, got the call and went in and marched for the next 11 and 12. That's obviously, you know, how us three Mm -hmm. came together and spent those very important, what it feels like important years at rhythm X, you know, um, for the organization and for all of us, obviously that group of people that were in it, it was very like special couple of years. I would say, I bet everyone says that about the years they march X, but, um, so I marched rhythm X and then I, unfortunately, you know, I, I kind of started to shift away and, uh, I had marched, you know, seven years of drum course. I didn't march my age out. I could have marched 2012 and 2013. I, I um, instead decided to kind Wait, of... Wait, time out. You could have marched 2013 DCI? No, no, no. Sorry. 20... Um, <laughs> no, 2012 
uh, DCI 2013 WGI. Yeah, see, you and I both missed out on that gold medal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 2013 Rhythm Yeah, match, yeah. both you of know, us could have marched. Actually, when after the show, because um, I definitely watched it live, uh, I was at headquarters with Evan and Audrey and I think Travis, and we were all standing there. It was like, whoa, nice. And it was kind of like, this is cool. Like, I don't, I didn't feel that um, – that feeling of like, oh, I, sh- I should have, and I should, you know, I was like super happy for the team and, yeah. you know, that was Mike Scott's first year and he totally just nailed it. And it was like, wow, what a like win for everyone. So I definitely felt happy for the, for the group, you know, and I got my, I got my gold medal. So, or my, you know, I got to, yeah, I feel like you so. glossed over that. You glossed over like, oh, the, at my section, I was fortunate enough to be section leader of the Cavaliers and that went in a positive direction. It's like, yeah, you won a drum trophy. That's about as <laughs> That's positive a, as yeah, it can't get any better for DCI well, season yeah. for your percussion section. No, it's cool. But, you know, I don't, I think a big problem now and like, it's sort of like I can, I can retrospectively say this, but it's like, I, I feel now because that's happened that that's more tangible and I don't like that like when I was a little kid like in 2010 I was at Cavaliers just sort of trying to find my way in the organization doing a terrible job by the way I was a huge (laughs) nuisance to everyone around me and they they were like super code red with how I just was as a person um but I didn't have any like aspiration to like go in or be a section leader or whatever I just was like I really want to march DCI because I see these people in these uniforms and it's like I'm so tremendously like dwarfed by that, that I just have to do it. You know, I, it's what probably people feel like when they see NFL players or, you know, and these dudes are just like huge, like they're literally huge. But you know, when you see DCI group, when you're younger, it's like, wow. Like I just never thought I would do it. And I was getting cut over and over again. Like you, I, I got cut for so many years in a row from DCI groups. So the, between the time me walking into Cavaliers and winning, it was like a blink of an eye. And I, all I can, say is like we just like really put our like noses to the grindstone i didn't really have that drive to win and now you know like i said now it's like oh i did it so like i better do it again (laughs) you know like (laughs) i now it's it's kind of um nagging at me in a way because of that so that's not to like boohoo i got to be the section leader of you know this drum line that has like almost two million views on youtube and blah 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 like i know all those things but you know i i it also, you know, it creates a certain standard that I feel like, wow, I better like show up because all these people have this idea about what I expected to do in my performance. And now that I'm teaching that, you know, that still, it still comes up, you know? So I don't know. There's no point to this rant. (laughs) No, it's fine. I loved it. It happens. But so anyway, you kind of segued a little bit there, obviously. Yeah. Um, Sorry. We met with the Rhythm X years where I remember that year very well, 2011, where like three people showed up who could actually play snare drum for the first audition. And then we were basically like, we have to make some phone calls. And I know you guys, you and Travis were still, I guess at the time, intending to march another group. And we were like, have you guys been contracted yet? And you're like, no. And we're like, well, come on down. <laughs> Just, yeah, I think the first yeah, thing. Yep. Evan, I think the first camp was me, you, Tom, and Dan Poulter. Yeah. Yeah, I think think that that was was it. it. Right, in terms of people who actually made it, right? Yeah. Maybe Zach J was there. Uh, Zach J was there. So five out of the nine. I don't even think Joe Woody or Matt Black were at the first camp for some reason or something like that. Right. Yeah. And that was another thing where it was like, you know, I was doing United uh, in 10, and then it was like, 
I remember in Cavaliers, you know, in 2010 Cavaliers, Luke Willingham, a couple guys were like, dude, you should come down to MCM, blah, blah. And I was like, ah, that's funny, whatever. You know, I go to school in Philly at the time. And then, you know, I go to the first audition camp at United. I'm like, okay, this is cool. And, you know, it, you know, um, and, uh, and then I like get a phone call from Josh and it's like, Hey man, like, you know, I'm getting good, a lot of people in my ear that I should be reaching out to you and some other people and that we could like sync up kind of a ride, um, situation and get you guys out here. And it was like, you know, like what I was saying about like aspirations to do something, this isn't even in like the scope of like reality, like we're the max, like, no, nah, it's in Ohio. And it's like Tim Jackson and like Andrew and all these people. And it's like, no, like that's not even, you know, that's beyond even what I thought I could be looking at. And then all of a sudden, like we just drove out every weekend, you know, like we commuted and, um, you know, that year, 2011, I mean, that was quintessential indoor to me, you know, what we were doing. I remember like being in the Kettering band room and we were in those three like diagonals, like standing with the music stands and we would learn three counts of music. And then we'd stage three counts of drill and then we'd go back and we'd go back and forth. And it was like, oh, you don't need to do indoor or this activity at all in any certain way. Like it was just mind blowing. You know, it totally shatters your your conception of like everything you've done, how you've learned to do it, like what you think you should be doing, things you think about or not. It was like it was totally next level. So, you know, we all did that together. Just totally just eating it every weekend you know we were all yep. going in there just getting our minds blown mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> how long was the drive because you travis and tom made it every weekend how many hours was it and j-rod too right didn't you guys like pick up oh, yeah yeah so well tom moved out he ended, he ended up living in columbus and indy and a bunch of different places that season and this and i um out in there, but it would be about four five hours to jared and then be about three or four hours from the Pittsburgh area to, uh, I think we were in, yeah, we were in Dayton that year. So uh, it could, it would be, uh, it yeah. could range, you know, it could range eight. Sometimes it took 12, some one time it took 15 because there was an accident in one of the tunnels on the Pennsylvania turnpike and someone was dead and we had to go on this like, um, you know, emergency access road. So it was hefty every time, you know, it was at least like, I think eight hours. I don't know if my math adds up. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's aggressive. Yeah. That's a pretty, uh, yeah, pretty commit committed drive every weekend yeah. for sure. Um, but anyway, so that's where we all met, became like great friends, obviously like, like brothers in a sense. Um, I invited everyone from that 2011 snare line to my wedding, uh, which is <laughs> funny. Which uh, you Good still times. use, uh, you, which Dan coincidentally still uses from occasion a picture from my wedding uh, yeah, for his okay, uh, so staff bios. <laughs> we're we're going to have to stop there because if you remember, and I think I can talk about this on the podcast, I fully intend to. Um, Proceed, that picture was it. the one, first of all, I don't, I try not to use that one anymore because it's very misleading about what I look like because I shave my head now. So I look like boyish and young. It's when I still resembled a, you know, a frothy Corey Matthews <laughs> from Boy Meets World, if you will. Frothy. I've departed and I, I've moved in a different direction. This direction is not necessarily better or worse. It's just different. So I just want to start there. But if you recall, Evan, one of Audrey's friends or something like that picture got posted and I had a girlfriend at the time, but it got posted and, and she was like, yum. Yeah, that she literally, cool. that's the only thing she typed on the comment of the picture, Y-U-M, young Perfect. Sam Shack. Oh, yeah, so. Um, Always a lady killer. That's how you know it's a good pick, I mean. Oh, yeah. 
It was. No, honestly, it was a good picture. And, uh, I mean, I wasn't, <laughs> like, fundamentally upset about that. I just thought it was, like, we, we use this radical form of technology that connects us to everyone all over the world at any time. And she chooses to write, yum. (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh. But yeah. So obviously like that's the level of connection that we had as like, not just like members of the same group, but just like friends and like brothers and like a brotherhood that it creates. Like you're talking about uh, how that group means so much to people um, who are in it that I invited Every single one of the people in the 2011 snare line, I was like, you guys are welcome at my wedding. Um, but yeah, so we had the, the Mexican connection. You guys obviously made the sacrifice to drive, which I certainly appreciated as a person who was thrown into an awkward situation of you're going to have to lead this group. Um, kind of similar to what you were talking about with the Cavaliers gig. I was just kind of like, oh, I have to do this. Okay, <laughs> I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm good enough as a individual or well you're whatever mis- you're, to do you're, this the, you know you're make you're giving me too much credit because between 2010 and 2011 we had a ton of good vets at cavaliers i had like this whole squad of dudes that were honestly better players than i was and if i recall 2011 Sterling, you were the only vet after coming out of 2010 which is like super stacked with great players and like tenured snare drummers from a variety of groups and backgrounds so you were literally the only vet of that snare line. So it's not exactly the same, but I, you know, I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yeah. So obviously one to Fred Sanford, Mars Cavaliers, this, that, this, that you kind of have transitioned earlier to how you mentioned, you still hold yourself to that same standard in your teaching um, background. So kind of take us through that, how you got into the other side of the activity, not as a member, but as a, as an educator. Sure, I'm gonna. I'll try to be slightly more linear. I apologize. I no, no, no. Not, I like the <laughs> pathway moments. Um, but yeah, so um, I I went into Seventh Regiment uh, Drum Corps Open Class one day in 2012 because I hadn't aged out. I wasn't trying to like do anything. I didn't have offers, whatever. I just went in one day, taught, you know, beat their ass, whatever. And then in 2013, I got the offer there, um, and I was a snare tech at. 7th Regiment up in New London, Connecticut for two years. I also got to write a little bit of body and write some horn body and do some PT. And all of a sudden, you know, I had a little bit of a bigger picture responsibility, getting to go in the box a little bit, you know, what have you. So um, from there, I, I was went to Crossman. Uh, you know, Josh just picked that gig up. I was 15 with Andrew Markworth writing the book. So I went there as the battery visual guy. Um, and I just think part of that job is rehearsing the drumline so I got to sort of um, work on some of the skills like you know organizing a drumline rehearsal like just live really um, and just kind of cultivating a visual technique program from the bottom up you know Um, so I was there in 15 and less than 16 because I just got a full-time job I was working at FJM Um, and then after 16 um, I got the offer to go to Crown as the battery coordinator um, with Travis, obviously. Um, and I'm just kind of going through DCI. I'm going to have to sew this all together in some logical backwards way. But um, so then I, you know, I got the call to go to Crown, and um, and that's where I remain now for drum corps. Um, and you know, it all it all does sort of have like a thread through it. Like um, in 2014, you know, Travis called me. Actually, in 20 
2012, I think it was, I was going to go teach C2, which was Cadet's DCA group. And I didn't want to do it. I gave the gig to Travis. Through that, um, they started Cadet's Winter Percussion, and he, he called me up. So it's really weird because we both got each other this job, these jobs in YEA, um, which is really odd that that transpired because it equals a lot more than that. But um, So he recruits me to come be the snare guy basically at CWP when we're open class 2014. Um, and, you know, I ended up writing a lot of the body and having some bigger picture design, um, you know, opinion. And, uh, you know, we won open class as our first year out. Um, it's our first year doing this, like designing. That was Andrew Montero, Travis, um, and myself and Rich Hammond, um, in terms of the design. And, uh, so we won, we actually set the highest record in open class ever that year, which got beat like by spirit of America, maybe the year after that, but it was wild, you know, it was pretty crazy. And then from there we got bumped, um, or I guess you're supposed to call it, uh, what do they call it? Recalibrated? Promoted. No. Promoted. Promoted or reclassified. It's one of those like PC words, but anyway, we got bumped and, uh, <laughs> and so we were in world class and we, 20, that's 2015 now, we got sixth place overall, fifth place in hands in world. And then the year after that, um, I just was having a life transition um, and, you know, my dad passed away and I was sort of like kind of in a nebulous place and I ended up, um, you know, grabbing my stuff and moving out to Ohio and jumping on board with Rhythm X, but I also stayed on with CWP that year. Um, so I was working with CWP as a designer. Um, we got, I think, ninth place that year. I was at Rhythm X doing some visual stuff, you know, teaching the battery when there was a moment um, and... So that was, yeah, 2016. And then 17, I jumped on with uh, Conexus. And unfortunately, after 16, CW was folded by YEA. So uh, we went and picked up the George Mason University gig. So I have been at Mason now, 17, 18. This is my third year. Um, and I was at Conexus uh, the last two years. So I think, did I miss anything? That's all. It sounds like a lot once you say it out loud. From Dude, what I know, it does I think sound like a lot when you jump through it. Yeah, but I think you got it all. <laughs> I think I did. I need to, you know, I need to organize that better. I should just read my bio off, but I don't want to sound like a robot either, but you know, it really does feel that sort of like mosaic in terms of how everything fits together. Cause it's not random. You know, I didn't like call anyone for a gig. <laughs> no, it's just all very organic. Like obviously the connections that you made with one group kind of pathway segued to another group, to another group, to another group. Uh, a lot of us, most of those groups that you've mentioned, like Crossman, Connexus, GMU, uh, everything kind of accepts cadets winter percussion kind of stems back to a lot of us that were at rear of the max like tommy rome travis peterman josh bricky all that stuff um, which is kind of cool to see um also side note some kid just now followed our instagram his name is ryan ticking tenderbomb uh give yourself more credit dude um, wow yeah that's rough <laughs> that's rough but your best uh, foot forward man uh, really giving know, off a good actually, first impression yeah, that's not I think it does go back to Rhythm X, though, because Travis and I driving out together every weekend, you know, you spend that kind of time with someone in a car. Like, we we became pretty tight, but tight enough for us to sort of find each other these other jobs. But he, like, you know, he is the one that ultimately called me and, and has been, you know, we've been ride or die since 2014. So that does really go back to Rhythm X um, as well. You know, we marched United as well. Me, Tom, Travis, all right, United together. But, uh you know, it, it definitely stems back to how I was as a member, which is scary in some ways because I was not always responsible and I was, you know, 
you guys know. So <laughs> you know. <laughs> we're well aware. We're yeah, well aware. But, you know, it's like you try you try to look back at how you were as a member. And one, it's like, oh, I have to forgive myself because I was younger and I didn't have the perspective I do now. And then two, it's like, you know, when you're a member, like you're supposed to goof around a little bit. So you have your yeah, uh, part youth of and revolt moments. Well, just all of us, like everybody has oh, their yeah. own moments. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yes, they do. But, and I, my, I myself had had a few. And, you know, it's funny because I look at the moments when I was marching where I was probably blowing things up or I was presumed to be talking back, having an attitude. And like those are leadership skills in a different context. So, you know, I I found a career or two or three where I can basically what used to be verbal revolting is actually just your contribution you know it's like if you can get to a point where your opinion however you know alternative it may be is valued like you can kind of go and say what you want to say and i find that valuable like i hold that very close to myself even though like these aren't easy things that i do um i like that i have that potential and that's probably why because i was like that dude who kind of had a opinion about things but like sometimes i might not have been totally wrong you know but there's a power dynamic in the staff student thing where we can't have that we can't have everyone kind of putting their vote in you know i don't think drumline's a democratic process i don't think it should be it can't be yeah i I don't think it can be no i mean we we're we're upsetting someone out there yeah it's okay it's fine uh but we actually we're able to catch up with Dan and Travis and the crown guys mid tour. And there's always times where it's just like on the staff side of things where you're teaching and stuff. And you're like, man, I just wish sometimes like, I appreciate that these kids have their own opinions, but I just wish they would do what they're told and everything would work smoother. (laughs) And there's, there's this, you know, I think people have a perception and, you know, as they should be that it's really easy to teach once you start cracking into that top talent level. But let me tell you, like the more talented the more intellectual, the more thorough the students get, the more they're going to challenge you. And yeah. what you end up doing is not, I mean, you do have to teach, like you got to teach technique, you basically the same exact things, but you need to learn how to manage and be responsible for and answer to some really smart people. And many of them are then like the future of the activity, right? So you should respect them too. So that's, that's, that's also, I guess I'm contradicting the thing where I said it's not democratic. It's like, you better listen to the people that you should listen to. There's some that you should, you know? So we try to be smart where it's like, you can't blockade yourself from the student experience. Cause if you do that, you're disconnected. Like that, that sounds so dumb. Like, like, Oh, I'm not going to take the students opinions. They don't know what kind of experience they're having. Like, like I said, to start this, it's like, no one knows what they truly look like out there or are perceived as so your students might you know and a lot of times it's like okay you've got all this other stuff wrong but you have this one thing right because they they're seeing it from that perspective you know what i mean so there's got to be a balance i guess and you have to be particular about how you deal with that you know but I, i do think that's one of the more difficult things about teaching a group like crown or like jmu is like these dudes are really good and you better have a answer yeah, will I you for the answer, and they will check you if you don't have it. You know, as they should. Yeah, I think that was one of the first things. Um, so obviously, I started teaching 
I'm going to be on with Cap City this winter. Um, and it's the first world-class ensemble I've taught since 2013. And I've just been doing like high school stuff in the meantime. But like standing in front of dudes who you're not giving very generic answers to, like it elevates you. And I'm like, man, I need to give high-quality information consistently. Right. And, it, and it has to be accurate all the time. Well, they'll know when you're wrong. Yeah. They certainly will. And I, and I remember knowing when things weren't right, you know, as a member – Actually, you know, having this attitude or whatever as an individual, it's like, you know, well, you got to be you got to be nailed. So I agree. And I think that's a great feeling, though, too, when you get that rush of like, I better think through the thing I'm about to say. Yeah, exactly. It's it's good. It's definitely healthy. Like eat your vegetables. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you can go in front of a high school and be like, you're rushing eighth notes. It's like, great. All right. Genius. You know, they're going to latch onto that. And it's probably true, you know. Whereas, like, these dudes are, like, at the last 5% of their snare drum education, and you need to unlock that last 5%, and it's hard to do that. It might be impossible to do that. Some people are too sedimented in their ways to be reversed, you know. Um, so how can you do that? And it's more about the, the how you do it than even what you're doing. Like, wh- how do you talk to them? You know, how do you approach them? That kind of thing. Because info is, you know, it's not generic, like you said, but... Two people can say exactly the same thing and get vastly different results. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, oh yeah. Your, oh yeah, your your speech, your approach, your aggressiveness, or your passiveness in a moment it it's got to be calculated. You know, and and if it's not, it's like you're probably not gauging if they're getting better in real time right in front of you. You know what I mean? If you're being reactive and emotional you're not really listening to what they're doing and going, okay, that was either better or worse. Now, where do I go? You're probably just like, this, this is bad. I'm just, I'm off the rails, you know? And, and then you're off the rails. You cannot be re-railed. So, you know, uh, <laughs> I've experienced both of those in yep. uh, uh, many regards, both people who are like relaxed and chilled and just like giving you in-depth information and people who are just flying off the handle. <laughs> and as a member, like I did not respond well to the people flying off the handle. I almost fought my, uh, I almost got in a fight with one of my tenor techs one of the years I marched. Well, that's <laughs> part of it too. Research as a, as, that. <laughs> as a staff member, you've got to be able to read your students. And you ha- you might have to approach someone differently than another or explain something in a different way to one person because they respond better to this form of explanation. I mean, I know when I've been in groups, there's always one of the two snare techs that I just understand better or respond better or respond did better to when they were in front of me. And it's just, it's part of being a teacher. You've got to, I don't right. for lack of a better way to say it, you've got to be able to read the crowd. No, you do. And let me ask you this though. Like I would, I would say, you know, when I, when you think about your drum corps education on average, did you have more better teachers than you did in your formal education school? Because if I think about my drum corps career, I probably had a lot higher average of good versus bad teachers at drum corps than I did like in my classes in high school. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that makes you think because I agree with what you're saying fundamentally is like, you know, you you tend to latch onto a certain style better, you know, or someone's just presenting it to you better or whatever. But I think on average, like the people that enter into the field, quote unquote, are usually they've been through it in a, in a way that makes them equipped. And then it's like, how do you reach as many people as you can? You know, mm-hmm. and you, 
you can't always reach everyone. That's like one of the hardest things to realize when you're teaching, especially when you're teaching in the classroom because you have to give a grade. So it's way, way worse. Um, but it's like, you know, people are always going to fail. And I, that sounds like super pessimistic and it might be, it might be more realistic, but you can't teach some people and some people can't, and it might be because of who you are. It, it's not because they're unteachable. It's because you don't find that place in the middle where you can dialogue, where you can communicate. And, uh, you know, that's, that's both and neither of your faults. So, you know, I, I, I would just say, you know, I've, I feel like I've had a lot of really passionate and good educators in the drum corps world, you know, because there's only so many drum corps and indoor drum lines to teach. So people work hard to get in, you know, anyone could be a high school English teacher, really yeah, that's true. on some level, but not everyone can go teach cap city. There's only one and you probably have three snare techs, you know? So you, there's like a literal ceiling to how many snare techs there are in independent world, let's say, and you occupy one of those Evan, right. Or what have you. So, you know, it makes you think like, man, you better try hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like not for just sure. you, but don't take it for granted. So, yeah, yeah. Because the ratio, I mean, this could be said, I guess, comparatively as well for like teaching in general and the state of education in the country on a whole nother topic. But people who are teaching drum corps and giving their sacrifice and their time in their summer, they're not doing it for a ton of money. Uh, they're doing it because they're passionate about it and they want to give that experience back that they received in a positive light to some other student. Um, like you're saying in the same thing could be said, I guess, about the teaching world. Like people don't always do that for, uh, financial reasons because teachers and blah, blah, blah debate. They don't get paid this, that whatever benefits, but yeah, I understand what you're saying for sure. And you know, there's two coin and I'll, I'll say this myself. Like I, I think that, I think that people who teach are mostly into it because of, the students and, you know, the prospect of, I don't know, creating like a more thorough future, a better future, something stupid like that. But let's not, you know, totally turn away from like, there are people more than me that just like to explain things to people like incessantly and annoyingly. And those people are probably good teachers, you know, and like, I don't know if I'm like that. I uh, I'm. I kind of would hate to know if I am. Like, I, I kind of get annoyed with that. People kind of just like to explain things, and they probably are good at you know quote unquote teaching, um, but that's not it, you know. But I'll, all that is to say, like you know, there's a payoff. You know, there's a payoff to being a, an educator. Um, you know, you have this squad of people around you, whether it's co-teaching in a drumline or you know your students. Like you create a tribe. You create a cohort in and of yourself especially these guys who are honestly like better than i ever was a snare drumming it's like you know i learn from them all the time so it's this collaborative immersive multi-directional experience and it's like i get better every time i have to go out and figure out what to say to carolina crown's drumline it's really hard to figure out what to say all the time you know so that's where i kind of find a lot of drive is like when am I going to stop evolving? If I keep doing this, I'm just going to keep changing my mind about everything. And that's like simultaneously horrifying, but also like really exciting. And that's probably why I do it is just keep finding out what's next. Cause I never know. And I keep changing my mind about 
the fundamental things I thought were true or right, I like totally go in different directions. Like any year, I'll just change my mind about something because I just didn't think of it in that way, you know, and that's, you know, I don't know if everyone does that. I, I don't know if I would recommend that. That might be part of my problem. <laughs> you know? uh, I don't disagree. I think that kind of falls in line with the old adage, if you're not growing, you're dying. Not to say that right. like you're equating growing and changing in the same regard, but you're definitely taking new information and evaluating it and relating it back to like, what do I know and how does this information change what I already know and my perception of this like activity in general. But yeah. Right. And the, the truth of it is, especially with what we do, it's not like we are studying some kind of object that is, you know, passive and is static and we can look at it and it's there and you can touch it and it stays like this thing is on the move, you know, like and to think that my attitude or knowledge towards drum corps should be fixed because of the experiences I had between 2005 and now, that would be probably the opposite I should be doing because this thing moves forward and not back, you know, and any time that we move back, it's a reference to history, but in an innovative way, you know what I mean? So it's always about incorporating the old into the new as we plunge ahead into the abyss, right? So to think like, well, this is how it's always been done. It's like, we're changing every single time we come out, you know, and that's the reality of it. And I find that harrowing and I find it hard to know if I'm keeping up in a given moment. Um, but it's, I guess, what keeps me excited about it because I'm still somehow doing this, even though it runs you ragged in a lot of ways. Um, I can't step away from it. I never have stepped away. I haven't spent a, a calendar year, not in a season of drumline since I started, you know, now 50% of my life has been occupied a little more than 50 doing this. So I think what we're talking about, or at least what I am ongoingly rambling about is that sort of momentum and, you know, the excitement for what's coming up next or what's happening right now behind the scenes, you know? Yeah, dude, for sure. Absolutely. I, I think it's fun. There's obviously always going to be things that people disagree with or are disgruntled about, like the old blah, blah, blah. We used to do it this way, like you were kind of saying. But, I mean, things evolve, things change. That's just, that's just time, and time does not stop. So, And these are trends, and they go in a cyclical nature. You know, I think it's funny um, how Code Red people get, like this this uh, summer with the uniform thing, like the internet was, was aggressive. And it's like, we forgot that kids are in the uniforms, like, you know, reaching these like dreams of their whole life. And then people are sitting behind the keyboard, like talking about all this sort of like pretty vitriolic sort of talk, you know, like I had to leave the Cavalier alumni page, you know, not to like whatever, but you get it. Like these are older guys and I respect that whatever they're from a time, but it was like, you know, I, it, it, it's, that's the general rhetoric of, of the internet, I guess, is sort of this essential, this should be this way and it's not. And therefore, you know, I'm mad or like rage, whatever. Um, but I, it's funny because like for people to point out that, there, this negative reaction to change, it's like, well, it's already happening. 
you're like, it's a reaction. It's totally a reaction. And that's what I don't get is it's because people merely observing and then making a claim about it. It's like, you're, you, it's already happened. What is this anger about? What is it directed towards? What's the outcome of your anger or the output rather? So it's kind of funny because, you know, if, if you're mad about something, go ahead and change it yourself. You know, like, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. I just don't understand that attitude, I guess, from past generations. It's like, I can't believe that everyone's changing uniform every year. It's like, what do you mean you can't believe it? Like, look, look around. This is exactly what it is. And to be honest, like, this is how trends work. Like, we go and swing into extremes and then we settle and we swing and we go back and forth. It's like the basic dialectic. You know what I mean? The eruption and then the reconfiguration and over and over again. And it's like, that's what we do. Look at fashion. Look at any trend. That's that's how this stuff works because we have limitations in our output. We have to reference ourselves. There's no beginning. It's all referential, you know. So that's why, you know, playing on marching xylophones is innovative. That's an innovative move. So um, that's why I it's loved creative. it personally. I thought that was one of the coolest moments of DCI last summer. And it's, I like how it's pushing forward and it's pushing backwards. And I think that is how you hit the nail on the head is when you simultaneously prod forward in an innovative way, but at the same time you stick to your roots a little bit, you know, like I'm, you know, I sound kind of like I'm advocating for this, like kind of forward moving drum corps thing. And like, in a lot of ways I am. Um, and I was surprised honestly by some of the YouTube comments about crown, dancing too much i was like i have known carolina crown as a drumline to be like tracking in a lot and now people are saying we dance too much i'm like i could have never thought that you know i i never thought of that as an option because it's like you know this is just the direction we're heading it's like and that's rolling if will so um yeah i don't know it's kind of weird to try to figure out where Things are headed, and honestly, like, anyone, any single group out there could do anything, but it's how you do it, how you present it, you know, a lot of different variables that are going to bring it to fruition in an effective way. Um, so it's not always just the, like, the, the, the what of it. It's also, like, the, the, the identity of the group, you know. Um, that, that makes things work or not, I would say. You got you to gotta fit into that. And I think people think people just kind of write stuff and it's not related to the members and their experience and all of that. And that seems important. I think that's important. I think that's the most important. Like that's, that's the reason for the activity is the experience. And like you're, we kind of gone full circle going back to like you talking about these people being big figures in the eyes of kids. Like when you saw drum corps and like the, feeling in what it gave you to see these kids playing and then to one day be in that position where you're in it like it is all about the experience and people and i don't think it says anything about old drum corps or original traditional drum corps or whatever you want to call it i think it just says more about like you said the age of the internet and like the keyboard warriors and stuff like that that's just kind of yeah. that's that is the drum corps evolved but society has evolved into this like aggressive like just vitriolic nature on right <laughs> and it's so funny you know 
all these old people that are mad about how we have to mic horns now are sitting on their Apple thousands of dollars computer typing into the blogosphere. It's like you're a hypocrite. It's like, yeah, okay, so you, you're not watching drum core on their app on their stream. <laughs> right, on Flow Marching, all they do is complain about the stream, right? But it's like, so you get to benefit from all this amazing technology and we don't. You know what I'm saying? Like the hypocrisy. Yeah. Like, okay. If we don't get to mic the horns and if we don't get to, um, have these giant speakers and if we don't get to do this or that, you don't get to use the internet. You have to use your rotary phone. You can go in your yellow pages and, and whatever you're like, I don't, it's sort of funny. You know, we get to pick and choose like the, the, those kind of like parameters, um, especially when we look outwards, you know, into something that, that we think that we're holding dear. You know, if you love drum corps, let it go. <laughs> it, that's that's the truth of it. Because trying to hold on to what it was, I mean, it's not. It's not that. And no complaints here. You know? No, I'm on board. I mean, there's certain things that I'm, like, you see it and you're like, ah, maybe that wasn't a good design decision. But at, at the end of the day, it's like they're designing for what they think is going to compete and what they mm-hmm. think is going to happen. So that's fine. Um, so <laughs> that was like a big, huge philosophical, like, yeah, <laughs> I loved it. I, I, it was awesome. But, uh, can I, I want to steer the conversation in one direction just so we don't gloss over it for time's sake. We mentioned earlier that obviously the cabbies won a drum trophy in 2011. I want to talk about what that experience was like a little bit. Did it come out of nowhere? Did you all see it coming? Was that, did it just kind of randomly happen finals week? Cause I remember, I didn't march that summer, so I was watching all the groups on YouTube and stuff throughout the season, and I was never overly impressed with your all's level of clarity until finals week. And then I saw it live. Did like a light bulb go off, or how did that work? Well, excuse me. Um, I I will not attest to how clean we played over the arc of the season because I was in it. I could not tell you. Um, I was just playing, uh, mm-hmm. but I will say, um, overall we won like 25 shows straight. We drums at a lot of shows. Um, we did not have cell phones. They take, or they took your cell phones at the time. So I didn't have a phone. I don't even think I had a smartphone at the time. So I was not seeing numbers. I was not looking at numbers. And, um, was it a surprise? Uh, I don't think it was, but I also don't think it was realized until it was realized. Like, I think yeah. that we were working hard off in it and we were a good group of people. We didn't really have a tick. Um, and then, you know, I think we lost. We got second place to Blue Devils quarterfinals and then we won the last two nights, if I remember. Um you know, and I don't remember finals week feeling nervous. I really don't. I don't remember having this at the forefront of my mind. I remember feeling good. I remember feeling automatic. You know, that's a word Tom Hannum uses a lot. And I really think it's the end is automatic. And, you know, the show we would be doing, you know, in 2011, like we got to finals week. We did our whole day was run throughs. We did five run throughs over the course of like two blocks. That was the entire day. And then we went and we did ensemble, you know, but from a percussion standpoint, we, and so then we were just putting it on the track and I just remember like stepping off for the first 
entrance and then the show was done and it was like okay that's that was it like i don't remember much from those last weeks as far as the big picture because it was sort of just we had been trained so effectively that you know was i was on the track it was just go so um and you know that removes my personhood from it like the machine thing but i'm that's how we were trained in a, in a good way, not in an abusive way. Um, and it didn't feel heightened or any different until it was like, you know, high percussion, the Cavaliers. And it was like, first of all, I'm in the Cavaliers. Wow. <laughs> you know, like that was never on the radar to be in a group like that. I could go off about that, but, and it was like, Whoa, like, you know, it's done. You know, when you get to the end of the season, good or bad, you're like, I can't believe that's actually done because it's yeah. a year long project yeah. that you put your you put your head down for. Um, it was just super surreal, and you know, it was always surreal to see myself in that uniform. But then it was like, oh, you won. I was like, what does that mean? Like, you're the best on the planet yeah, at what you right. do. No, it, we, it, it did mean that at that moment, you know, and that's sort of subjective too because we put DCI at the top, top, and we could say like, you know, the old guard or the, the you know, West Point guys, like those drum lines are incredibly good too. So mm-hmm. we could start talking about different genres, but um, it was really weird. And I, I remember not thinking too much about the book specifically, not in a bad way, but just like, oh, this is a book, you know, I got to learn these beats and I got to learn the definitions and um. I always wanted to play a MacBook. Honestly, I, I got cut from Blue Coats in 2008. I was completely not prepared for that at all. Um, and uh, in terms of that group, I, I was prepared to get cut. I was not prepared for that mission <laughs> whatsoever. But, um, you know, like marching under him and marching with Tim Maynard and Brian Tinkle, like that was very I, – I didn't really ever think things like that were going to happen in the first place. So the win was also equally kind of crazy. And, like, it didn't really start clicking until the season ended and people would be, like, coming up to me, like, taking pictures. You know, that's that's when it got weird. You know, where it's, like, <laughs> where, I, where I became – I, like, split off in my – you know, I, like, created a horcrux that day where I <laughs> I was both myself and I was you both nerd. my, like, my da- – dude, Harry Potter reference. Come on. Man. We haven't even talked about that yet. But, I get um, down with Harry Potter. Me too. Yeah. You can say you don't, but the woman's wrist, that ship has sailed. But, but anyway, um, so it was just really weird, like people kind of coming up to me and telling me who I was, you know what I mean? So I became both myself and the mythical figure of myself, this like spectral ghost, like replacement where it was like, oh, center, snare account. It's like, I'm just, I don't know. It's weird. It's still weird. I. It's like kind of when you have to talk about yourself, like. There's always that weirdness, you know, and I, I don't know. It was, it was, it was really cool. Let me tell you that. That night was fun. I, it probably is one of those, you know, best nights of my life for sure. No question there, but it's really been the, it's been what's happened since then that matters. You know, a lot of Mm -hmm. people go and do that and then they totally fall off. So I'm more lucky that I didn't fall off because it's very easy as a snare drummer to just totally get wiped off the map. Just, just, just be real, you know. I can testify oh, yeah. to that. <laughs> I probably, yeah, I probably done that. I'm sure. Uh, uh, but to kind of, we'll segue again uh, back and forth. So now you're teaching 
two groups. You teach at Crown, and you, you teach at George Mason, um, which both kind of have, I don't know, to me, unique setups. Um, Crown and where they do their housing and how they kind of operate as a core. And then George Mason, I think, is one of the few independent world groups that has a relationship with the university, to my knowledge. Might be the um, only one. Might be the only one. How's that work with like the relationship of GMU and like the actual school? Obviously, they're supportive of what you guys do, and or else it wouldn't exist anymore. You know what? We are very, very supportive, um, and it is awesome. It's kind of baffling. Uh, like I go down there, and we're on a college campus, you know. So there are a lot of resources that come with that, you know, um, and the appearance that we can can create because we are legitimized through an office in a university. It is wild. You know, I, I have very different experiences, you know, um, working closely in YEA and that's winter percussion. And we can talk about that and how that looked. This is very different. Um, there's many, many levels of communication. Um, as with the university, you know, it feels very, dense in terms of getting to the core of things. Um, but as we've acclimated ourselves there, it's like, it's pretty wild. You know, it's really cool. Um, we, we function in a way that independent world groups can't. Um, and the support is really uh, on, on many different tangible and intangible levels is very deep. So it's, it's really, really awesome. Like do you guys rehearse on campus every weekend? It depends. You know, we have a couple sites that we can use. And if those are not available, we do look outside. Um, for like schools in the surrounding area of Northern Virginia is very expensive because it's near D.C. Um, but we do try to find alternative housing if we don't have an ideal space. Um, but we, you know, we are centrally located on campus. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. And like the gear, is that the school gear? Or did you guys get, I know you guys used Pearl last year. Is that just like Pearl gives that to GMU indoor, but not GMU, the university type deal? You know, I don't know if I can answer that with, with accuracy. I'm pretty sure that our current deal or deals are through the athletic bands department, but for the indoor drum line, but I know like they have a tech class and they have a like fight and drum class. And, uh, they use the gear. Like, we, we all use each other's stuff. Okay. Um, but we have specific deals. Like, our Vic – or no, we're not with Vic. Um, our Remo deal, rather, um, is, like, through Travis and me and our connection with Remo. Um, so it, I think it's different. You know, I think I, we, we took on the Pearl deal from um, the previous regime. Um, and the drums are amazing, obviously. Um so there's a lot of – I don't know that I have the answer for that. I got you. No, that's yeah. not worse. And, uh, yeah, Cap City switched to Pearl, so very grateful for that. Yes. Shout yep. out to Pearl. That's awesome. And, yeah, best reason to play drums. But let me say this. <laughs> now that the sponsor thing has come up, I will throw out there that any group and many groups have one with every setup you can imagine, and it's about tuning and it's about your approach. So oh, I don't yeah, yeah. necessarily believe that using one sponsor – is going to give you the trump card over anyone else. It's like it's about the tuning. I've and used all three of the stuff. major brands. I've used Dynasty, Pearl, Yamaha. I mean, 
I've gotten gold medals with all three, I think. Or, I mean, silver medals with all three. No gold medals. But, right, but you, <laughs> you know, the point, the point stands where it's like, you know, it's about how you use this equipment. Yep. So I just want to hit that home because I think people get into these crazy theoretical discussions about fibers and woods and this and that. And, you know, a lot of that is important. And I, how did you tape your sticks this summer? Like, okay, whatever. Yeah, right. Matter. Well, okay. That's even, that's better. You know, other, other, you know, the amount of guts on your bottom head, you know, and that does, <laughs> but that does, I asked you, you know, about that the other day, actually. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. that, you know, but that does matter. Cause it actually relates to tuning, but you know, <laughs> you, you can, you can sound great with any combo. Yeah. I mean, Paul about, Rennick sounds great with dynasty every year. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and, it doesn't matter. It's about the approach. They're making the sticks vibrate. They're making the drums vibrate and resonate. They're tuning to some relative pitch across the board. They're probably not taping their drums at all, by the way. And I highly suggest not putting tape on your snare drums because I think Tommy Rum said it to me. He's like, dude, why would you put tape on the drums? Like, if you're supposed to muffle them, they come, like, with muffling. <laughs> you know, like, why are we taping the snare drums? Like, they're not meant to be taped. You got to just tighten the guts. And if anyone wants to learn about tuning drums, Tommy Rome is your guy. Dude's a whiz. He is all over it. So I learned a lot from him about some of that stuff. And again, this is like the basic stuff that was instilled in me when I was young. I was like, you got to put the packet tape across the guts so it sounds like a box. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, it's like good oh. you know, it's like, why? You know, why? You got to ask why. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with that. Um, so that's the GMU. Uh, relationship and then crown obviously i experienced crown was my only drum corps experience which is unique in itself but like i get there and we're staying at gardner web university which is a beautiful campus and i've talked about this on this podcast before and during the week we're eating at the school university cafeteria in this and that, and I'm like, oh, this is what drum corps is and then i get out on tour and i'm like talking to my friends about their moving experience i'm just like wait what so obviously you've marched a couple different cores all age and then Cavaliers and you've taught a few different places. What in your opinion, like separates some of these groups like, for instance, like a Carolina crown from, I won't say another group, but just in general. Sure. I mean, there are so, so many answers to that question. I think the first thing, if I could like, qualify the thing that i felt when i started at crown was just the expectation from the top tom hannah michael clash it's like when they're running rehearsal they're up there they are just having a good time there's not a lot of pressure coming down from the box you know they're they're hitting it home like don't get me wrong they will key you they will key you individually as they should but the whole energy from them is a, a mastery and a comfort that i had never noticed anywhere else um and that being said, you know, that's one level of how the organization runs. You know, I, I think Cavaliers as an organization, they do a lot. When I, I'll speak to when I was there in 10 and 11, they did a lot that really put the member first. Um, you know, making sure that we were healthy, making sure that we were fed, making sure that we felt good, that we looked good. I mean, there was hair gel on my packing list. Like we, they, they really put the the vibe and the attitude of the group forward to make you feel like a uber badass as a member. And, you know, I thought it was kind of goofy with the hair gel thing, but like, you know, I, I believed it by the end. And honestly, you could embody that and it's really cool. And it makes you feel like that rock star. Um, 
So those are just kind of different levels. You know, actually, both those spring training situations are pretty similar for me, at least. Like Cavaliers, we were on a campus or two campuses and we got fed and blah, blah, blah. Um, So, you know, very lucky, obviously, um, that I have been engaged with these sort of groups that are, you know, setting a high bar for how to operate because the financial side is just absolutely unspeakably complicated. And, and, you know, I couldn't even start to testify to that. Um, But there's different ways that a drum corps presents itself professionally or has high caliber. Um, You know, it, it, and it's always the people I would say, you know, it's, it's really, I would start there is who is like fronting the whole group who is putting their themselves forward. The, representative of the group that's who you remember as like the group you know you think of jim Coates at crown because he is has that core on his back you know so he is he's that him and nancy they're nurturing family you know that's that's kevin you know they're kevin smith kevin and mo you know that's a nurturing family where they they will rap with you they will say hi every single time like just you know, they're there. So, um, Kevin Smith still likes my Facebook posts, like in comments on them to this day. And I (laughs) aged out like 10 years ago, almost. (laughs) No, I bet he knows just like everyone that's ever come through that organization. Cause he's just the man, you know? And like, and he gets up in the morning and does banquet after finals, like and him and Jim, like they're showing up and they're showing up all the time. And like, that's, that's the kind of stuff you kind of put forward. I think when you remember a group and you try to, think about how these experiences are different. Cause you know, you always wonder kind of how these different groups operate. And honestly, also I'm talking about two very different situations where I was a member in one and not staff at one. So, um, that's also going to give me a kind of slurred perspective, but you know, when you're in a crown rehearsal, it's like, it's just uber professional, honestly. And then you got to fit yourself into that thing. Cause it's, these dudes are masters of the craft, you know, um, which is tremendously, um, you know, puts a lot of pressure on you at times. But also, like you said, it kind of raises you up. It makes you operate in a different way. For sure. Absolutely. Well, that was all the, like, drum core stuff I had. But how long have we been going here, Mike? Uh, it's been an hour and two minutes. Uh, uh, no, all right, we got time. Unless you got to go to sleep. <laughs> I'm cool. No, I'm, I'm good. Drinking. All right. So this will kind of segue us into the next, like, just non drum core. Um, so obviously, this summer, Travis, uh, our good friend Travis Peterman, has a, I don't want to call it an epiphany, but just like an enlightenment that he wanted to make a change. And he started obviously running. He made a big post on Facebook. Like, he started running during rehearsals during before rehearsals during lunch blocks dinner blocks whatever uh at crown uh started working out at the end of the summer weighed himself i think he said he lost like 40 45 pounds something like that which is amazing so i think we at least for sure me i went through this period of post age out where i was just like not doing anything i used to spend all my energy drumming i don't drum anymore because i don't need to there's no point uh getting like the dad bod going uh, too many carbs and beers. And then you look one day, you're just like, mm, I don't look as great as I used to. And so I made that turnaround and I was like, I'm going to start going to the gym, working out. So you, did you start running with Travis or like 
put that bug in his ear or did he just kind of like do that and then you were like all right i'm gonna help you with this so like i'm gonna also do this with you kind of deal or what uh that's a it's a hard i don't remember if i i definitely didn't push him to run i'm not i mean dude i'm five six i'm like a thumb that's what cameron halls calls me <laughs> shout out cameron halls that's my boy purple cobra baby cobra but he calls me a thumb um <laughs> something i can't say this podcast but uh so i deserve it but uh not not a runner dude so um i think we were just saying like you know i work out incessantly i would say um during the year but then on tour you can't so i think we had just talked like yo let's figure out a different way to continue this and um so we sort of just built up from spring training we started doing some circuits and i had some bands and we would just kind of do some basic things and then kind of like interval stuff walking running laps and then you know by the end of the summer um we're running five six miles straight he ran six i only ran five i didn't run the six miles with him so travis if you ever get this far in this podcast you gotta hit seven miles a summer that's my bad but i don't run so i i don't run but i did i ran with him a lot i don't i don't run either i hate running i'll i'll do any form of cardio but run i can't stand it I'd rather swim um, yeah. seven miles than run seven miles. I think. Me too. I I think it's uh, it's you got to fit yourself into it and figure out how to like it. But I think you anyone could like it. Um, I did a tough mutter a bunch of years ago. I don't know when it was. It was twelve miles, but I I got rocked. It was crazy, but it was super <laughs> fun. So I recommend tough mutter. It's like one hundred fifty bucks, but it was on a it's on Gun Hill, Gun Hill or Gunstock Mountain in New Hampshire, and we were running to the summit of this mountain. And I remember just pushing my thighs down so that my legs would move because it was done. They were totally done. That was done, but it was it was cool, you know. Like I I would definitely do that again, even though it was it was very difficult and embarrassing, honestly, just getting totally roasted by a mountain. Um, but yeah, I've been wanting to do one for a while, like a Tough Mudder Spartan race or something like that. So I recommend it. Honestly, I I was worried I was going to finish it. I really was. It was it was hard. It was hard, and I've never run that far before. Like, and it's like a mile on an obstacle, a mile an obstacle, twelve of them. So you're not just running straight, which can be hard psychologically. But you're like mine was on an actual mountain. Some are on like racetracks. That sounds kind of lame. I would try to do it on like real terrain. Um, yeah, yeah. But it, you got to be with like a group of people. It's all about the teamwork, and it's all about like people are just getting fired up and motivating each other, and it's really cool. And it's like you run with people you don't know, and everyone's helping each other, and it, it was fun. But you know, I think we're gonna run again this summer. Like we were just talking earlier at the gym today. Like, all right, we're gonna be in the weights during the year, and then once we hit spring training. We got to just slim it down and run because there's not that much you can do when you're on Winter is bulk season, man. This yeah, summer buddy. is cut. I'm gaining 10 <laughs> yeah. pounds this winter, man. Yeah. So you guys are still going to the gym. I see you posting on Snapchat on that Stairmaster. <laughs> That's my classic Snapchat. That's my that, – the only thing I post on my Snapchat story is my dog or the stairs. Um, but you know what? Yeah, so I've, I've been going to the gym for – I think since 2012, I started going habitually, I would say. And I probably average like five days a week if I have a good week. But 
school, I don't know anymore. I might be down to four days a week or three on a bad week. Um, but I agree, like Mike was saying, like, I don't like cardio at all. I want to lift. I don't really like doing the cardio thing, but um, apparently it's good for you. Like, if you lift and then and then you do cardio, you're oh, yeah. clearing up your lactic acid or blah, blah, blah. It's going to help your, like, kind of healing process and activate your ATP cells or whatever some stupid stuff like that so um i do cardio every day that i go every single time when i'm cutting i do when i'm cutting i'll lift and then i will do like 15 to 20 minutes on the stairmaster or an incline treadmill or a stationary bike or whatever i feel like yeah the bike's easy though the bike is easy no you do intervals you do intervals you're sweating like a stuck pig after the after it Dude, do the ellipticals. Yeah. Do that tre- that incline treadmill. <laughs> Dude, I incline like treadmill will kill you. I'll do the stairs, and then sometimes you, if you get to the gym at the right time, because I'll come home and then go to the gym after school or whatever, and then um, I'll go on the bike, and then all of a sudden, like, the spin class starts coming in. So we just been bumping spin classes. So you just nice. get roasted in the spin class, and they mess you up. Like, it is hard. I sweat a lot. Dude, my, my wife's been doing, like, these at-home workouts with, like, this beach body, like, this lift floor. And she's like, I'll do them with me. I did one. Dude, it tore me up. I was like, this is too hard for me. <laughs> I'm like, I go, I go to the gym four or five days a week, and this is hard. Yeah, like, there's body, you know, the body weight thing is, is way worse. <laughs> I don't know. To try to do, like, strictly body weight exercises and gravity exercises, it's like She's doing, like, plot. She's doing, like, plyo stuff for, like, 30 minutes straight. I'm like right. – I'm dying right now, but <laughs> yeah, and like you know, you might just be built for something else. I'm I'm condensed. My range of motion, shout out Marcus Newdigate. My range of motion is just <laughs> intrinsically short. Yeah, he gives me he gives me problems because he says when I do pull ups, I don't. My ROM is whack, but whatever. Um, so Chris Gary can fix that, <laughs> dude. Yeah, he he really could. Um, but like my arms are so short, so I'm I have a good advantage. Like I always say, like you know I when I was in middle school and high school, I was a small, like I'm just short, but like, this is the one thing I can do because I, for me to fully contract is a lot less distance than most people. So I'm have an advantage from that standpoint. I'm more condensed. That's what I try to tell Mike. And like, when we're talking about bench press, cause like Mike's a lot taller than me and he has way longer arms. I'm like, well, well, I don't have to move the weight as far as you do. <laughs> yeah, dude. When yeah. I when I bench, I'm so bad. I I can't bench a lot at all. Like relative to what my other lifts are, it's just right. so hard. Yeah, well, your your mechanics of it ring true. I mean, you're moving through space longer, right? So yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, you know what? Like, here's my thing. First of all, you should be benching with the dumbbells. You guys use dumbbells. You use the bar. I, I, I go back I and do forth. both. I go back and go forth. Go back and forth. Okay, good. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I like going back and forth. Got to so. get those stabilizer muscles, man. Usually yeah. on days I do barbell bench, I do dumbbell incline. And on days I do dumbbell bench, I do barbell incline. That's nice. What I same, do. same, 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 same. Okay, good. I do a nice yeah, mix I, of like – today was actually a chest and back day. I'm doing them on the same day right now. but Push-pull, yes. Yeah, Push-pull. Yeah, so awesome. Warm up the back posture. muscles. Keeps your posture good. But I did like – I think I did one – Incline machine, some cable decline stuff, uh, dumbbell flat bench, uh, another incline machine, and then just with back stuff, 
I got that um, row and pull down Bradley stuff. Martin watching a Bradley Martin video. <laughs> yeah, that dude's probably on steroids, but he's oh, he is one hundred percent. He's a nobody, yeah, freak too. Nobody gets no, like that without yeah. Help. You gotta just you know like I see some dudes at the gym and I'm like jealous and I'm mad because I again just can't reach my maximum potential in anything. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like you probably one inject yourself and yeah. two. Your amount of time you spend to do that, it's just preposterous. Like, I can't do that. And if I could, what I would be doing in my, like, professional life would be probably pretty – well, it would be vapid. It's like, what kind of job do I have to have to dedicate myself to, like, looking like a sculpture? Like, I just can't. And, like, you know, I – it's also, like, what you get out of doing this work. Like, is it that I feel better because I look better or is it I feel better because I – have done something to myself psychologically in the process of facing the impending doom of getting crushed to death by a weight. Like that's where I get my value out of the weightlifting thing. It's been more like the challenge of it, showing up to it and be trying to be consistent with it and failing sometimes and then going back and, you know, hitting yeah. peaks and it's See, like, like a, it's like a saga, you know? Yeah. For me, it's both. I, I, I feel good just from being stronger and healthier and the endorphin release you get from uh, from lifting like that. But what's just happened? Whose mic's dying? Uh, I don't know. Evan, you sound like you're eating chips. Yeah. I'm, I'm not eating chips. That's, <laughs> that's not the case. All right. <laughs> uh, what I was – like to me though, part of my motivation comes from seeing the changes in my body because for me my whole life I was super skinny – zero muscle mass. I mean, you guys remember when I was marching, I was a stick, like there's nothing to me. And, uh, that's been one of the major motivators. Just, you're just more confident. You're just a more confident, comfortable person, at least for me personally. It's almost like your, it's it's like your body is like your visual thermometer for where your brain's at. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, you feel better because of how you look, but you, you look better because you're make yourself feel better through this process. It's like mm-hmm. totally reciprocal. You know what I mean? And like, I, I don't know. I don't always like walk around like, Oh, I look good. Like I'm, I'm not necessarily feeling that way. No, but, but you I know notice that when it. I, you notice well, it. Well, I can, yeah, I do. At this point, it's kind of hard to tell, but um, I think it's more <laughs> like what my mind feels like and kind of how I feel more motivated and just the, the responsibility you place on yourself to motivate yourself um, in those processes is like super hard to do. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's not people like start, they talk about starting to work out. I'm like, Oh, this is horrible. I would never want to start. (laughs) Yeah. So here in relation to that, I started working out in the mornings, like uh, two months ago. Yeah. Which I never thought that I would be, I was like, I'll never do that. I'll, that'll never be me and it sucked for like two weeks maybe even it maybe even like a month but now that i'm into it like i go to work at like 8 30 after i've already been in the gym for like an hour and a half and i'm like i feel great <laughs> yep it wakes you up yeah. I, I love studying right after i lift weights my brain is so awake and focused i agree i agree and i i know for myself I go two days in a row without hitting it, I'm just like a depressed piece of crap. Yeah. I'm just like sad. I don't know why. And I feel bad and everything feels bad. I'm like, Oh, I just was out of the gym for two days. And then I go back in and like, everything just clears up. It's like the, the 
the grit in your in your joints and your muscles and in your brain and your blood it just all starts to move so it's kind of like intuitive though you know it's kind of funny like I, I don't know but I'm not trying to like fat shame and I, I never tell anyone what to do with themselves I really don't care um, but I think it's obvious that if you try to put some work into your body you your brain will light up yeah um, yeah definitely. seems to- so obvious yeah, to try and tie this in to drum corps, Evan and I have talked before, and I just kind of want to get your opinion on it. I don't know about you or Evan, really, but I wished I was doing this while I was marching. I feel like I would have been so much a, a much better performer if I was in the shape now that I was, or no, then that I am now, if right. that makes sense. Um, well... I went to the gym casually when I was at Temple, and then I started going more seriously after I moved home and finished school there. Um, but I could see how it could instill some confidence in you as a performer. I didn't have that as a problem. I'm just like that. I was just see. Uh, I always did. Right, I mean, I and was... that's just a personality thing. It's yeah. like how you how you kind of put yourself out there as a performer. Um, you know, I did like jazz band and I did plays and dance class and things like that when I was little and my parents were both performers. So I kind of don't care. Yeah. I've always been sort of like that, but I could definitely see like, you know, I think it's going to give you your like your best foot forward in anything. Like I don't see a situation in which exercising is going to deter you or put you in the wrong direction you know what i mean so i think you can apply that to damn near anything well yeah but i'm more speaking in terms of i would have been a better marcher i would have been a better player if i had the muscle mass that i do now when i was marching i think what you're talking about and referring to is really sometimes drum corps misses the mark a little bit on like the pt yeah uh and the fact that they're all like cardio 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 let's wake up let's run let's run let's run let's run it's like well you don't need to run. If I did like some like squats or like some sit ups and stuff and my worked on my core, it'd probably help me out a little bit more than Especially just running in the off season, like going into the summer. I think everyone marching drum corps should be on like a weight training program for like the four or five months leading up to it. Because right. their body so, do yeah. not well, everybody's gonna do that. I so what we do is uh well Crown has like a fitness page, but you know, we've had workout logs and I'm taught seventh. We had pretty diligent workout logs and I was very serious about filling those out and they would do them. Um, and I've put some people on some different things, some different ways to do that. Cause a lot of people just don't know how, yeah. um, but I agree in terms of on the off season doing strength and conditioning at crown and at cross when I was there, we do yoga every morning. Um, so, cause you don't need to be like strong. You don't need to be getting ever stronger in drum corps cause you are going to get lean yeah. and you are strong and it's about your endurance and it's about, it's about your, your respiratory system and all that because you're going for 12 minutes, but it's about being flexible too. So we do yoga and that's also like a meditative thing, which is helpful. Um, but we stretch more seriously. I think that is helpful, but I would agree that you would want a base of like something because then when you start sh- shedding all that, you're not like a skeleton. Yeah, know? I mean, b- bo- at the end of both of my summers, I was so physically weak. If it wasn't that performance, that show, I, I was, I felt, I felt feeble and just, just weak. And I think right. 
because I you lose so much over the course of the summer, if you go in with a solid foundation of muscle, you're going to have more of that muscle left over at the end to be less of a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, you're right. Yeah, you'll be more sturdy in general because you're – your whole structure changes once you get more into that. I mean, I'm yeah. sure you guys are feeling that you're kind of getting into the depths of doing this habitually. And all of a sudden you like literally reshape your body. Like you, everything can change about that, like structure. So I agree with that for sure. I gained 15 pounds my first year at Cavaliers. I don't know how really what? Uh, they feed. Yeah. They feed us, a bunch and, of know, PB and J's and I lost brownies. 15 pounds. No, they're hooking it up. First of all, we were eating like King strawberry chocolate fountains. Ask anybody. Oh, dude, I ate sure a Cavaliers truck that. a few times in 2010, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah hot fudge Sundays. It, it was, it was wild. I mean, that's my first DCI experience, so I didn't really have anything to compare to, but yeah, I gained 15 pounds, and I was pretty – I was all right, you know. But then my drill was also easy. Dude, yeah, I wasn't, Blue I wasn't Stars – like I'm sure Travis has talked about it. That Blue Stars 2010 drill was hard. Yeah, and you guys did a lot of body. That's yeah. what I'm finding now, actually. That was like, hard. Like, in 17, for Crown, the dudes were saying, like, that drill was a lot harder. But in 18, they all lost a lot more weight because we're doing so much choreography and, and body – you know, it was like, I was like, all right, go into plie, and then, like, 32 counts go by. It's like, you're still in plie. So they would just be doing, like, way – there's, like, an increased physicality to it, mm-hmm. but the wasn't as hard for us in 18. Um, so, like, you got – like, I'm, Blue Stars 2010, you guys were doing an unusual amount of body. You know, Especially that Joel, for that time. Yeah. Especially for that time. Yeah. Well, exactly, because Joel was on that, and his stuff was good, and it was musical, and you guys were in these – gyrating rotating forms that are changing and all that indoor stuff so you were having to do that 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 difficult stuff but you know like it's changing now like some groups you know like the cadets drill is hard you know their drill is hard it was real Um, hard they're getting beat up doing that but we're doing the body so that's hard because of we even if standing still you know like the way you have to break things down it's like you always have to be in visual so it changes the parameters of how you rehearse because it's always coming back to all right now layer in the it's never in spot you know so that's probably my fault because i have to clean the drum line that i'm choreographing for i should probably like back off so i can <laughs> just clean the hands but whatever yeah the hands were pretty clean at the end of the year <laughs> incredible sound good. quality incredible sound quality you're pretty good yeah. They were pretty good. <laughs> That's one way to put it. That's one way to put yeah. it. All right. Well, we've been going for an hour and 23 minutes. Oh, it's nothing compared to a Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Well, do we, is there anything you guys want to hit that, uh, that we haven't gone down yet? I'm good. I mean, I'm chilling. So it's up to you guys. I don't really have anything. I think we've covered I mean, a I'm lot up for stuff. whatever, but I mean, we went through my list, I guess. Somebody's vibrating. Late high booty call. Wasn't me. Wasn't okay, me. Email my phone. Uh, wasn't a definitely wasn't a booty call for me because my wife's asleep in the next room. But all right, well I think we've covered everything we need to. So, um, Dan, you good? Yeah, I personally don't have anything more to say about any topic um, <laughs> at all. So well, we all know that's forward. not true. 
We all know that that's not true. No, from here forward, listen, Um, I'm taking a code of silence. I'm going to go into the mountains in Burma and become a monk. Burma. um, This is going to be my – I'm denouncing speech. So this is it, guys. All right. Well, (laughs) we are going to do a part two because there's things we didn't get to, and I want to make sure this is short enough to still go on Spotify. So everybody, as always, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram, like the Facebook page. Uh, We're now on both Podbean and Spotify. So follow us on both of there. Listen wherever you want. And we're still working on iTunes. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks and we'll see you all then. Peace.